morning. If you had told me about eight years ago that I would be standing up here talking with you, I would have laughed <laughs> and probably fainted um, at that moment. Uh, there were a number of reasons why that would have been so ludicrous, but God has such a sense of humor, doesn't he? Yes, he does. He takes us out of uh, our comfort zone and out of our um, slough of despond and out of the pig pen, and he uses us in spite of ourselves and it's an amazing amazing thing to see what he has done in my life and i'm sure in your lives too uh, when vinnie ballen told me that i was speaking today <laughs> he referred me to judy to find out about the theme for this year and when she said well our theme is identity i went oh okay I'm all right. <laughs> because so much of what we do in our ministry is talk about identity. And um, this is a little different format than I usually do that. But, um, but this is such a crucial, crucial topic. And I think I'm going to put this back in. Just one last thing to think about. So let me know if you can hear okay. Is that all right? Okay. Good. Um, it is an enormous topic for all of us, um, and so I'm going to start out by telling you a story. I love stories. I love to hear really um, good storytellers, but also loved to read to my kids, and so we're going to have a story this morning. Um, this is called Eagles and Turkeys. There was once upon a time, because all good stories have to start out with once upon a time, as you know. Uh, there was a family of eagles, and the parent eagles were out searching for food, and the baby eagle was in the nest, and a huge windstorm came up and knocked the nest off and knocked the baby down to the ground. And the baby survived, but did not know where his parents were, how to get back, and just started wandering through the forest looking for his parents. And um, couldn't find them, crying, yelling, where are my parents, where are you? And along came a flock of turkeys. And there was a turkey mom that, well, a turkey woman that had never been able to have babies, and so... She adopted the eagle, and the eagle grew up thinking that he was a turkey. So they taught the eagle how to eat worms and how to uh, scrounge, even in cow patties, for food. There were seeds and, and bugs and things, and but somehow the eagle just never felt comfortable. It's all he knew. He couldn't remember being up in the nest, and he couldn't remember his parents by that time. Um, so he identified himself as a turkey. Um, so he was able to stay alive by getting enough worms and, and things, but there was just something missing inside of him. And so he went for a walk in the forest one time and met up with a wise owl. And the owl said to him, what is wrong? You look so sad. And the eagle said, I'm just craving fresh meat. And, and I, I would just love to be able to soar. I see, I see birds up there in the, in the heights. And, 
and they're just soaring. And the owl said, well, that's because you were designed to do that. You're an eagle. Well, the, the eagle argued and said, no, I'm not. I'm a turkey. That's, I've always been a turkey. All my cousins are turkeys. All my family, we're all turkeys. No, you're an eagle. Look at yourself. You don't look like everybody else. And he thought about it, and he thought, you know, you're right. I've always felt different. Felt like an outcast or, or like just... I wasn't the same as everybody else. And I'm so sick of getting my beak all stuck in the cow patties and have all that junk all over it. It just, it doesn't make sense to me. So the owl said, the reason it doesn't make sense is that you were designed for higher things. You were designed for different things. Go try it out. So the eagle got up its courage. And he went and he found a rock and climbed up on it never had flown before and put his wings out and stretched and began to flap and before you know it he was up in higher than he had ever been in his life and he learned how to soar and he learned how to feed himself and he learned how to be what his designer what father had made him to be how many of us are eagles that are living like turkeys I was, and I'm going to tell you a bit of my story, not because it's so unusual or that I'm here to, um, to say, oh, look at me, but, but it is my story, and I know it best, so I'm going to tell you that part of it. I was born into a family that is fairly well-known in certain cir- um, circles. Um, my great-grandfather was the founder of America's Kazakh. And my grandfather was the director after him, and then my father was the director after him. So I grew up with a lot of people knowing who I was. Um, And it wasn't a life that was luxury by any means. Um, We were poor, um, but we lived in this beautiful place. And so my classmates in school never could figure it out because we had horses, we had boats, we had tennis courts and all this stuff that they thought was maybe ours. But, um, but my parents really, really struggled to take care of us. Um, but there were other influences that were going on as we were growing up. Um, my dad was super busy with the ministry, and the ministry always came first. Um, he was a wonderful man. I miss him dearly. Um, but he didn't know too well how to balance um, the, the family needs with the ministry needs. So if we went somewhere, it was always we got to hurry and get back to Keswick because there's something going on. Um, and so I grew up with the idea that I really wasn't all that important. Um, my parents were raised to think that complimenting kids would give them big heads. And so we were never complimented on anything. We were expected to have good grades. We were expected to behave ourselves. We were expected to do the right things. Um, but the idea was really to, if we behaved ourselves and stayed out of trouble, then everything was good. Um, they didn't understand how to build into our lives um, that egoism, if you want to call it that, um, that, that we were of value, 
Um, in many ways, I felt like more of an annoyance than anything, especially to my mom. Um, my mom was raised by uh, Norwegian immigrants, and um, while they loved her, they didn't know how to build into her life. And so she had a very, very critical spirit. Um, nothing we did was ever good enough, and uh, that influenced us tremendously. Um, and so we also were influenced by the fact that people came and went all the time in our lives. So there was a core group of staff, and we ate meals together and all. They were kind of our big family. But, but people would come, stay for a week at Keswick. We would get to know them and, and really like them, and then they were gone. And so after a while, that hurt. And I withdrew, and... Uh, I would read books because I could always go back to those books and I could live sort of vicariously um, through the, the novels that I was reading. And that became more of a life to me than, than anything else did. Um, as an adult, I mean, I, I did grow up and I, I went to good schools and, and um, kind of got on with life. But I really floundered as an adult. I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. Always wanted to be in the medical field, but nothing just seemed to fit and did not have the confidence to go to medical school because um, I'm really bad at math. And so it just seemed like that was going to keep me out, so why even try? So there was not that, that idea of, um, of understanding it's okay to try, it's okay to fail. There wasn't that basis. So my identity was distorted as a child of uh, just not being significant, not really um, being of value. And then as an adult, um, I got married and it was a disaster and made some very poor choices of my own, but also was abused in that marriage. And uh, that ended, got married again, inherited three stepchildren. And so at that point, I had to become super mom uh, racing back and forth to ballet lessons or classes and uh, sporting events and my um, husband at that time was traveling almost all the time and so I was uh, also teaching school I had eventually ended up in the teaching profession and uh, so it, it, it was a crazy life but I thought I had to keep everything together and so that became my distorted identity well, that marriage failed, and there was a lot of abuse that had gone on in that marriage that really shook me to my core. Um, the fact that I had gone through a divorce one time was bad enough. I was the only um, staff kid at Keswick who had ever done that. To do that a second time was um, just awful, and there were... Rumors and there were uh, tales going out really across the world. When you think about it, you don't you don't live in a fishbowl and not have things said. Um, and so I felt like God could never use me. That um, I was just a waste, and and that I had failed Him so much, and I had embarrassed my family, that there was just no way that God had any purpose for me did not know what I was supposed to be doing. I had actually gone to ultrasound school 
thinking that I could support myself at that time and um, did well, but unfortunately the school I chose uh, did not have the credentials for me to be able to get a job and didn't realize it when I spent all that money and time. Um, But God, God has a purpose in all of this. And so even though my identity was so distorted at the time, God took that and and turned it into something that he could use. And so through um, a number of events, one of them was being able to uh, meet with Marianne Kiernan. And I hope all of you know Marianne. She's just a wonderful, wonderful person. And, and Father was able to use her um, to touch my life in a, in a very different way. And there were a lot of factors that were coming together at the same time. One of them is that I met Joe, and for those of you who know Joe, uh, you can probably understand he, he's like a firecracker going off, um, like, all the time. And, uh, but he had a love for the Lord that was so sincere and so genuine that it was able to blow up that distorted image um, that I had. Um, So that was the first thing that happened in my life. And um, I also call him a dentist drill because he has an incredible ability in counseling to get down to the core issues of things. And so uh, he he practiced that on me, (laughs) even though he wasn't my counselor. but, um, But he was able to be used by father to break down a lot of those barriers and a lot of the shame, guilt, and remorse that I had uh, from choices that I had made, from things that had been done to me, um, just feeling like a total failure at that time. The other thing is, uh, because of Joe, we ended up going to a conference at Grace Fellowship International in Tennessee, and we originally scraped together enough money to go down for the conference and ended up staying nine days. Uh, for the workshop and then the school of counseling. Um, and it's sort of amazing how Father provided the money for that, um, which is a story for another day. Um, but amazing things that God did through that time. And it was really in that, that week um, that a lot of barriers were broken down in me. Um, one of the things that happened is I began to understand that I was really loved by Father. Now, I had heard that my whole life, but I was also taught a lot of legalism. So, yes, God loves you, you get saved, all that's great. Now, here's what you need to do to be able to maintain that or to be able to grow or be able to do this. You've got to... You know, go to church every time the doors are open. You've got to pray for an hour every day and get up super early. And you've got to read your Bible for hours and hours and hours. And all of those have-tos are what I assimilated as a child. And it never made sense to me. I did not feel loved by God. He was there. I knew I was saved. But... He seemed so far away and so quiet. There were times when I would pray, God, please deliver me from making this choice, that making a mistake. 
And, and there just seemed to be silence so much of the time. And I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that. I see heads nodding. Um, and I would cry and say, why am I not worthy enough or, or of value enough for you to help me? Like, I'm, I'm praying for help. I'm begging for help. Where are you? And it had to get down to that point where I realized it was not that he wasn't there. It's just that I was not perceiving him. I was not understanding my identity in him. And so my identity was so wrapped up in failure and shame and guilt and remorse and, and even in the fact that I had two of my five kids go into addiction. I mean, like, that's the ultimate failure. Somebody is raised at Keswick and then ends up with kids in addiction. Like, oh my goodness. All of those choices that I made that had affected them. Um, and it was at GFI that I finally understood that I needed to accept my acceptance. I needed to accept my acceptance. That I was loved that I was accepted, that there was nothing I could do to make him love me any more or any less, that I have value because he sees me as valuable. And so all of those times where he seemed so quiet, it wasn't that he was quiet. He was as close as the air I breathe. I just couldn't perceive him. I couldn't understand because I didn't accept that I was loved by him. When I came to that place where I accepted that he loved me, everything changed. So are there hard times? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, there has been nothing but hard times, it seems. Um, but my identity has changed. It is now a transformed identity. Instead of a distorted identity, it's a transformed identity. Um, and it's not because of my performance. It's because of what Jesus did. He's the one that did the work. He's the one who made me clean and new and pure. And that when Father sees me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. There is nothing that I can do to make him not love me. Amen. And this was... A profound change. Profound. Because my identity no longer had to be in, I have to accomplish this. I have to get up here and, you know, give this wonderful message. Or I have to, whatever. It, there's no more have-tos. The have-tos are gone. It's all about Jesus. One of the things that happened um, while I was at Grace Fellowship and some of you have heard me talk about this, but um, Dr. John Woodward, who's our dear friend and mentor, um, made the statement that we have a new past, a new present, and a new future. And I went, what? I mean, this is coming from the years of shame, guilt, and remorse. And being humiliated, not wanting to meet certain people because uh, they know, they know all my dirty secrets or, 
or whatever it is, you know, the rumors that were out there and, and all of the things that were said. And when John said, we have a new past, a new present, and new future, I did not understand what he meant, so I raised my hand and I said, John, could you explain the whole part about the new past? I understand the future, okay, we go to heaven and all of that, but how do we get a new past? Like, I, I can't undo the choices that I made at that time. And he just smiled his gentle smile, because he, he's a gentle giant. Um, and he said, what that means is that in God's eyes, it's all gone. God, when I bring up my sin to him, God says, what are you talking about? It's all gone. Jesus paid for that on the cross. When he was on the cross, you were on the cross with him. Because your sin, every single sin of your life, past, present, and future, was paid for by Jesus that day on the cross. It's gone. It is gone. While there may be consequences to the choices that we make on this earth, and do people forget? No, they don't. But in God's eyes, it's gone. And how much more wonderful can it get than that? And so I no longer have to walk around in shame, guilt, and remorse. I can stand in front of you today and say, I am a child of the Most High. I am free from my past. I am free to stand in front of you and say, God has done an amazing, amazing work in my life. And I am so grateful. So when we have a distorted identity, we make poor choices based on that. When we have a transformed identity, we make choices based on the fact that Jesus lives in us, he lives through us, and he lives as us. And so Galatians 2.20 um, talks about that, that when Christ died on the cross, we died with him. And now the life that we live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. So we do not have to have that distorted identity anymore. It's not about how we look. It's not about what we do. It's not about how much money we have. It's not about whether we're married or not married. It's not about our brain power or lack thereof. It's not about any of that. It is about Jesus. Amen. Jesus. Amen. Amen. There's a saying that you'll never know who you are until you know whose you are. And that is absolutely the truth. You will never know who you are until you know whose you are. So what does that mean? It means that I am seen. I am not invisible anymore. Matthew 10.30 says that even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, I know some of you have a lot more hair than I do, so that's a pretty amazing thing to think about. Every hair on your head is numbered. That's mind-boggling, but to our God, that's nothing. 
I am heard. Psalm 76, 1 says, I cry aloud to God and he will hear me. So all those years when I felt like uh, my, my parents used to call me daughter number three when they would introduce me to people. So there were four daughters, and it was kind of a joke, I'm daughter number three. But God doesn't see me as number three. He sees me as his precious child, as his princess. So I have an identity. I am heard. I am known. Psalm 139, 1, uh, the whole psalm is amazing, but... Um, Psalm 139.1 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. I am not ignored. I am a person of value to God. I am loved. Jeremiah 31.3b says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with everlasting kindness. I love the word kindness. That means so much to me. I would rather be with a kind person than some superstar or whatever. Um, a kind person speaks to me, and that's, that's what I would love to be known for. You know, when, on my gravestone, I would like somebody to just say, she was kind. And that's enough. But it's all about what Jesus does in us. Um, so when I am loved... I'm no longer isolated. I'm no longer that little girl curled up with a book, longing to be loved, longing to be known. I am loved by the Most High. I am loved by the God of the universe. And this is my favorite one. I am delighted in Zephaniah 3.17. is one of my all-time favorite verses. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That's a picture that I can really appreciate. That God, the creator, the sustainer of the whole universe, exalts over me with loud singing? I I can't picture that. I heard a a translation once that said, He dances over us with joy. That just blows my mind. I, I love that picture. He dances over us with joy. We are significant. We are of value. We are loved by the God who created all of us. There is a video that I would like to um, show you. And this will just reinforce um, what we've been talking about. Um, Some of you probably have seen this before, but it's worth seeing again. The words you are about to experience are true. They will change your life if you let them. For they come from the very heart of God. He loves you. And He is the Father you have been looking for all your life. This is His love letter to you.
my child. You may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered, for you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being, for you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you, simply because you are my child, and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider, and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope, because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts toward you are countless as the sand on the seashore, and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you, for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul. And I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me, and I will give you the desires of your heart. For it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine. For I am your greatest encourager. I am also the father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are broken-hearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your father, and I love you even as I love my son Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my Son Jesus, you receive me, and nothing will ever separate you from my love again. 
come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been father and will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? I am waiting for you. Love, your dad. Almighty God. looking in like like you're standing at that fence and you want to belong you, you want that sense of love and uh, value that God gives but you you've never known how to get there it's as simple as accepting a gift you don't have to earn anything you don't have to be a certain person or or do a certain thing. It's as simple as accepting a gift. Uh, my dad used to use the illustration of uh, picture somebody who was given a million dollars and they're notified that they're given a million dollars in the bank. It's all there, it's cleared, everything's great, but they don't believe it. And so they never go and they never draw on that. They live like paupers even though they have a million dollars in the bank. Um, And that's the gift that God has given to each one of us. And all he says is, draw on that. Just come to me. Accept my gift. Accept that I love you. Ask Jesus to be your Savior, and you're in. It's that simple. You don't have to earn your way. You don't have to prove to God that you are of value. He already knows you. He created you. He designed you. It's just a matter of praying and saying, Father, I accept your free gift of salvation. You are my Lord. You are my God. And I want you to take over my life and to be my Savior and my Lord. And so as we close now, I would like to pray. um, If you would all bow your heads And I'm just going to say a simple prayer that if you would like to have Jesus as your Savior, you can just pray it quietly where you are. We'd love to have you come up and talk to one of us, anyone in leadership here, um, or you can talk to me. And just let us know that you made that decision. Father, I would like to be your child. I would like to accept that gift that you have given based on Jesus' death on the cross. 
And I'm asking you to come in and to be my Savior and my Lord and my leader and my very life. I accept that free gift and I want to be your child. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And it's as simple as that. No magic, no hocus pocus, nothing other than it is. If you prayed that, you are now sealed for eternity. That you will spend eternity with Father who loves you more than anybody else ever could. And there's one last slide I would like to put up there. It says, sometimes on dark days, I think nobody cares and nobody's coming. And then I remember who sends thoughts like that and I straighten my crown.